Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're breaking down the results of the 2020 primary election. The primary election determines who will be on the ballot in November. And heading into the primary election, there really wasn't a same sense of drama or anticipation as the November general election. Still, there are several key races that could really play major roles in determining how blue Arizona swings this year, if at all. This is particularly true at the state legislature. Joining us to discuss those results is the reporter who covers that branch of our government, Andrew Oxford. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Andrew, Tuesday's primary election was in many ways a race between moderates and hardliners, and outcomes from both parties determines really how polarized our ballots will be in, in November. At least it's a preview for that. And that certainly was the case in North Phoenix's District 15 with pretty conservative you know, candidate Nancy Bartow was running against more moderate conservative incumbent Heather Carter. How did that race turn out? It was close, very tight. Nancy Bardo uh, had a narrow lead over Heather Carter in early results. And, you know, that really was maybe not surprising, but I thought it, it was a result that was really uh, telling about kind of how forgiving Republican primary voters, certainly in a district like that, will be of a legislator like Heather Carter, who has been open to working or voting with Democrats, who is open to things like LGBT rights, for example, and is a little bit more independent in the way that she votes and in the way that she's willing to use her leverage. And, and if that means upsetting the party leadership, kind of going with that, you know, it's 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 very similar to what you're seeing up north with uh, Wendy Rogers, another very conservative challenger coming in and looking poised to oust Sylvia Allen, an incumbent senator who's a very conservative Republican. Uh, but you're seeing this uh, really big pushback in some of these districts against uh, Republicans who are not perceived as conservative enough, right? And you were tracking a similar battle that was playing out on the Democratic side in South Phoenix. There, uh, Catherine Miranda, who represented District 27 in the legislature from 2011 to 2018, this year, she wasn't so successful. She made a run for the state house seat currently occupied by representatives uh, Diego Rodriguez and Reginald Boulding. Miranda really kind of positioned herself as a more moderate choice uh, in that race. In the past, she's been endorsed by Republican Doug Ducey, and she's really kind of broken ranks from Democrats on issues ranging from abortion um, to other kind of high-profile hot-button issues. Who came out on top there, and what might that tell us about the politics in that community and looking forward to November? Miranda wasn't even close, and I think it, a lot of it comes back to exactly what you were talking about there. You know, her opponents were very quick to paint her as, you know, uh, too conservative. You know, they they trotted out her endorsement of Doug Ducey. They taught, you know, when, and of course, this is not a good time to be a lot, you know, uh, sort of seen as sidling up to him, right? If you're a Democrat. And uh, I think that really worked. You know, Democratic primary voters certainly in that district were, were in no mood to, you know, 
come and, and find a common ground with Republicans right now, right? They see a real opportunity to win, control of the House, maybe control of the Senate, uh, to you know, have a, 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 an amount of power that they've never really had before in, in, you know, in a while. And I, I don't think there was an appetite really to, you know, uh, you know, rally around moderates. And so I think that really hurt her. I think that that uh, allowed other more uh, other candidates to the left to really do well in these primaries. You saw that out in Tempe, right? You had a you know, a slate with Juan Mendez, Athena Salomon, Melody Hernandez running as a uh, you know all millennial, all publicly financed slate, and and they were all leading uh, early Tuesday. Again, you saw your challengers who were able to draw on money from the business community, uh, probably, you know, who probably might have been much more moderate Democrats, uh, were just not gaining traction with primary voters. There just ultimately wasn't too much interest in that, right? You had David Cook, who had been under ethics investigation that has since been closed. He looks like he's going to be returning. He was the top vote getter as of earlier results on Tuesday. You had Steve Montenegro, another kind of scandal-plagued uh, former lawmaker who tried to make a comeback this year. Voters rejected him. Yet in other high-profile races, like on the county sheriff's race, I mean, could we see a return of Joe Arpaio? He's also locked in a really tight race. And I think that's, you know, I, I think you're seeing in that race voters trying to figure out a few months ahead from now how is this going to play out? Right. You know, uh, I've heard from a number of Republicans who feel like they're already bracing for a rough election in Maricopa County in terms of the legislature, in terms of you know, the presidential race, the Senate race. They don't feel like they need Joe Arpaio on top of everything else uh, this election season. And then on the other hand, you have the fact that it's Joe Arpaio and there are plenty of Republican voters who have been perfectly happy with them, who have been with them all along. And and his brand is not dented at all from, you know, any of what's happened over the last, you know, what, 20, 30 years. So, you know, I think you see that that tension of uh, how much is the party willing to double down on the uh, on sort of its most right wing positions and how much does it really need to to readjust and think ahead to a general election where it's already going to be on defense. This obviously is going to be a pivotal election come November for both Democrats and Republicans. Democrats could retake the state House of Representatives for the first time in 1966, as, as you've reported. Um, they could also, you know, take hold of, of the Senate. Do tonight's results give you any sort of new insight about where things might end up in November? Well, it shows us a couple of things we really want to watch going into November, right? One is, you know, a very different dynamic in two state Senate races. One is that race in sort of the north central part of the state, the Sylvia Allen district, that looks like it's now going to be the Wendy Rogers district, or at least that's who's going to be running as the Republican nominee. And she promised Republicans she was going to be you know, a conservative champion. But meanwhile, Democrats have been getting closer and closer to winning that district and see a real opportunity. And I think that uh, uh, 
Democrats are really going to be emboldened going into races like that, where they feel like the Republicans are going further and further to the right. And so I think that watching how Republicans play those races going forward is going to be important and a good insight into, you know, can Democrats really flip the House and the Senate? The other thing is, you know, how you've seen uh, Democratic lawmakers who have been able to garner a lot of money, who've been able to, you know, uh, find some support from industry and from business groups uh, how they're able to parlay that going into November, because I think that there are businesses and, and industries that are kind of seeing which way the wind is blowing. And maybe they're not going to be so opposed to Democrats winning a majority in the House or the Senate if they feel like they've got some people over there that that can support them on their issues. Right. And I think that's going to be another indication of which way things go. Do a number of the major donors simply come around to the uh, to some of the Democrats or stay out of certain key races because they've, uh, you know, they, maybe they've found people that they can work with. Andrew, that's all the questions we have for you about the state legislature. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us after a super busy election day. And for listeners who want to follow along with your coverage in the coming days and years, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Andrew B. Oxford. Let's move on to the U.S. congressional races. The most interesting race of the night was the Senate race. Democrat Mark Kelly was unchallenged, but there was some interest around the Republican race where Senator Martha McSally had a primary battle from Glendale businessman Daniel McCarthy. Yvonne, how did McSally fare in in the election Tuesday? And what, if anything, does this race tell you about November? She fared as we thought she would pretty well. She won by a very wide margin uh, as of 10.30 on Tuesday night. She really has always run with an eye towards November. And so, you know, McCarthy pulled more than 20% as of this recording of Republican uh, primary voters. And, you know, people were, some people were thinking that she could really lose even more support among Republican voters. And so this number is actually not all that bad for her heading into the general election. And the tone of the campaign shifted dramatically from the side of the Democrats. I jumped on a a quick phone call with Mark Kelly. He's the Democrat who ran uncontested for his party's nomination for um, that race. And uh, he got on the phone and he has spoken in terms that I have never heard him speak in. He took it straight to McSally. He said, you know, she's running a dirty, you know, negative, nasty campaign. I don't think voters are going to fall for it again. They rejected it in 2018 after she called Kirsten Cinema, you know, uh, a supporter of treason. And they're going to see through it again. And for you know all of her calls uh about him campaigning or hiding out in his uh you know home in tucson he said look we're in the middle of a deadly pandemic don't expect to see me anytime soon in big crowds with uh no masks and this is how i'm going to be running my campaign and if i lose because i'm trying to be you know safe and uh I'm, i'm trying to be responsible so be it for her part mcsally didn't really pay much attention to Martha, to uh, Daniel McCarthy until the very end of the night. And she, at that point, called on uh, McCarthy supporters to coalesce around her and to help 
uh, Republicans really hold on to this seat. So very big, pivotal night for Republicans. Let's turn now to the U.S. House of Representatives. The most notable race uh, of the night came from the Scottsdale-based 6th Congressional District. This is the Republican-leaning district that's led by Representative David Schweikert. And uh, just last week, uh, Schweikert admitted to 11 ethics violations and agreed to pay a $50,000 fine. That was a pretty rare uh, re rebuke on the, on the floor as well. There were four Democrats vying for his spot, including Harold Tipperney, who has more than a million bucks to spend on the race. Do you have a good idea of how that race will play out? Well, the Democrats are trying to help frame that right away. Uh, they immediately released a poll that showed Schweikert ahead, but only by three points uh, among likely voters. It has a margin of error of four percentage points. So that seems to be the starting point for this race. There are other things to consider. As you noted, Harold Tipperneni has a million dollars in cash to bring to the uh, this race. And you look at that, that is one of the most well-funded challengers in the country. And compared to David Schweikert, who is actually one of the worst-funded incumbents in the House, this is sort of a recipe for trouble if you're Republicans. It's still a GOP-leaning district historically, but as the opening bid on these polls shows, uh, it is within striking distance, and I expect to see a lot of advertising on screens everywhere near you <laughs> for the next few months. There were a couple of other blockbuster kind of races, or at least races that had that potential. Congressman Tom O'Halloran, a Democrat, faced a challenge from the left in Eva Pitsvova. How did that turn out? Yeah, this is uh, a race we still haven't had officially called, but uh, O'Halloran is leading comfortably at this point um, in a race that we always knew had at least some potential to be slightly competitive just because Eva was such an insistent campaigner and she certainly was, you know, sort of stirring up uh, the Democratic base in a time when the base has been very active in Democratic politics. So it's slightly surprising to see how narrow this is. I will add that when Tom O'Halloran won the nomination for the first time in 2016, he narrowly defeated uh, a similar sort of lightly funded opponent who had not even the name ID that uh, Eva Putsova has. And so he has a history of sort of underperforming in the Democratic primary, but has uh, obviously fared well in front of voters in the general elections. His Republican opponent uh, appears to be Tiffany Shedd. She's been the, uh, the candidate of choice of some of the Republican establishment candidate types. Uh, former Senator John Kyle endorsed her again, and uh, so did uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Um, he has gotten behind her early. And I think what's notable about this race for Republicans is that if it is Shedd, uh, what they have is finally a candidate who is really sort of unburdened by scandal and controversy. In 2016, they had former Mer former Pinal County Sheriff Paul Babu, who was tied to uh, controversy at a uh, former school in Massachusetts that he was headmaster of. 
And in 2018, they had Wendy Rogers as the GOP nominee, who'd made a number of controversial comments about Social Security, for example, in a district with many retirees. So uh, for Republicans, they have to feel like they've at least gotten off the banana peel and the roller skate. Let's hit one more quick high note here. Uh, Congressional District 4. This is uh, Congressman Paul Gosar's district. He faced a primary challenge from Anne-Marie Ward, and that uh, got a little sticky there up to the final days of uh, the election with a stolen windmill and all sorts of things. People can check your story out on AZ Central. How did that race end out? Yeah. So Congressman Gosar won the uh, primary again. He won it by at least 20 percentage points, it looks like. That's a pretty good margin. But for a five-term incumbent who had, you know, a reasonable amount of money against somebody who is, you know, pretty nearly invisible walking into the race, that's a pretty, you know, surprising show of strength for her. Um, And just for context, the last time Paul Gosar had a Republican primary challenger was in 2016. In that race, he defeated former Buckeye City Council member Ray Strauss by about 43 percentage points. So this time he's done about half as well uh, by comparison. One final question about all of these results. What, if anything, do they tell us about the upcoming presidential election in November? Yeah, so there's the million-dollar question, and I think that um, there's no clear answer for it right now. In the first district, for example, Tom O'Halloran seems to have you know, sort of struggle to dispatch Eva Pozova in the Democratic primary. But that really could just be a measure of how intensely to the left a good number of voters in that district want to go. And they see someone like Tom O'Halloran, the centrist, as being uh, good enough, and they're willing to go even further. Um, and so you can read into that race, for example, maybe voters are more eager to go to the left than what we've seen previously. That district, by the way, what's important is that Donald Trump carried it by one percentage point four years ago. So a lot of eyes will be on that one. You also see in the uh, a poll that was released tonight by the Democrats, the um, sixth district, that's the Scottsdale district represented currently by David Schweikert. That poll is showing that Joe Biden is ahead by four percentage points over uh, President Trump. So this is traditionally Republican territory. There's uh, at least some optimism among Democrats that they've got a challenger in that race that is well-funded and will, again, continue to bring lots of heat to Republicans uh, throughout. So I think there's there's reason for Democrats to feel like they are where they would like to be in Arizona after the primary. And for Republicans, I think the good news for them is that, you know, their base has not left them. And especially as I look at the Senate race, you know, Daniel McCarthy didn't just yank lots of support out of the uh, sales for uh, Senator McSally. Well, thanks for that analysis, Ron. Thank you, Gaggle listeners. That is all for today. While we still have you, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Tonight's episode was produced on deadline by Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.